0: Welcome to episode sixty-one of the Rich Roll podcast with Khalil Rafati. The Rich Roll podcast. Plant. Hey, everybody, Rich Roll here. Welcome to the Rich Roll podcast. Thanks for tuning in. What do we do here? Each week, I bring to you the best and the brightest minds in health, wellness, fitness, nutrition, and just generally living your best life. I have one goal with this show, which is to help you unlock and unleash your best, most authentic self. So I've had world class athletes on, I've had doctors, nutritionists, world class athletes. Did I already say that? all kinds of people, entrepreneurs, artists, spiritualists. Uh, what else? Anyway, I cast a wide net, lots of people. The only requirement is if you are an example of living your best life, and if you have information that I feel is important to share with you guys so that you can take that information in, use what works for you, discard the rest, so that you can Make the best decisions about how to live your life, how to be the healthiest you can, the most fit you can, the most present, the most dialed-in, actualized version of yourself. So today on the show, I have an amazing guest, a man that I am very proud to call my friend. His name is Khalil Rafati. Who is Khalil Rafati? I've never heard of this guy. Of course you haven't. He's not a celebrity. He's not anybody famous. But he is a guy with an amazing, remarkable story somebody who has sunk to the depths of despair and has risen like a phoenix from the ashes to be an incredible example of the resiliency of the human body and the human spirit, um, as well as a remarkable example of living a healthy, actualized, tapped-in life and somebody who is of extraordinary service to his fellow man. I love this guy. Um, I'm really uh, a better person for having him in my life. And I've been wanting to share his story so badly on this show for quite some time. He's a super busy guy, almost impossible to pin down. And I just literally harassed him uh, over the last week until I just compelled him to sit down for five minutes so I could talk to him. Uh, He is the proprietor, the founder, the CEO, or the, I don't know, chairman of the board. I don't know what you would call it. Of Sun Life Organics. Uh, what is Sun Life Organics? It is a an organic juice bar in Malibu, in the Point Doom section of Malibu. Uh and uh you might be asking yourself, well, some guy owns a juice bar is gonna be on the podcast. And you know, what can what can this guy possibly have to offer? Uh but uh please reserve judgment because I guarantee you his story is gonna blow your mind. And Sun Life Organics is much more than just a juice bar. In Malibu, it has really become uh, the epicenter of all things healthy in our community. Um, it's become a place of congregation where everybody who's kind of interested in uh, living healthy, getting better, tapping into a better version of themselves seems to congregate, and Khalil is sort of the host with the most. He's the ringleader. He has a very dynamic, contagious personality, very infectious and what he's been able to create, the community that he's been able to create around uh, around his organization is nothing short of remarkable and uh, his story um, is extraordinary uh, on the show we have talked in the past uh, about addiction and recovery it hasn't been a big focus of the show. But I think the last time we really kind of dug into it is when I had my friend Mishka Shibali on the show, and that was a really popular episode where we kind of tapped into kind of uh, the demons of addiction and, and the process of recovery and, and kind of what it entails. And um, I thought I'd bring Cleo on to kind of share his uh, version of this story. Um, his story is uh, so astounding. It makes my story seem like peanuts. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, his journey to the dark side and back um, will inspire you and amaze you. Uh, the fact that he has been able to come back from what he has had to endure in his life to repair, not just repair his life, but to really thrive and be an example of healthy living and the extent to which <clears throat> he he uh, shares his knowledge and his enthusiasm for his new lease in life is quite infectious. Uh, again, it speaks to the incredible power uh, of the resiliency of the human mind and the human spirit, and the inherent power within all of us to change at any given moment, to improve ourselves, which is another obvious, obviously huge theme of this show. Um, One note I wanted to mention uh, is that if anybody is listening to this show and they are currently suffering from a drug and alcohol addiction and feel like there's no hope or don't know how to climb out of the despair that, that uh, you are experiencing, I want you to know that there is help. Uh, you don't have to sink to the depths that Khalil did. You don't have to drink or use anymore. You do have a choice. You have the power inherent within you to change. All it takes is a little bit of willingness and a decision. And I want you to know that uh, if you need help, that you should, and I hope that you will, reach out to me. Or reach out to Khalil. Uh, you can reach me through my website at richroll.com through the, con- the the contact section. And at the end of the interview, Khalil uh, shares his contact information too. So uh, Khalil and I are both always ready, willing, and able to help anybody who is in this predicament. Um, it's my number one priority, and I know it is for Khalil as well. So uh, please know that. Thanks. And uh, last week on the show. Julie and I sat down and talked about how to weather the holidays, how to sort of navigate the pitfalls that come with this holiday season that is now upon us. All the anxiety, all the pressure to spend money, uh, all the social obligations, and all the kind of complicated uh, family, interpersonal, and and, uh, professional relationships that we kind of have to deal with at this time of year that can create a lot of stress for us. Um, and I hope you guys found that episode helpful. Julie also posted uh, on richroll.com in the blog section um, a supplemental blog post with some additional uh, kind of tips for how uh, she deals with these situations. So I hope you guys check that out and find that helpful. Also, uh, we've been posting throughout the week recipes, plant power cooking recipes, one a day uh, to uh, give you guys some healthy alternatives when it comes to preparing your holiday meal. So we all want to stay healthy during the holidays, uh, and inevitably so many people end up in January with an extra you know, 10 pounds around the waist wondering how did it get there and kind of the shame spiral that ensues. Well, let's do it a different way. So Julie and I thought we would post up a bunch of recipes, um, sort of alternatives to the traditional holiday meal that are still delicious, easy to prepare, family-friendly. We've put up recipes for vegan stuffing, uh, cauliflower mashed potatoes, vegan mushroom gravy, uh, an outstanding uh, recipe for almost raw pumpkin pie that I just posted today, Today Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be putting up another post for a tempeh meatloaf uh, and also a uh, blended green holiday drink for you. So check out those posts. Um, people love recipes, what can I say? So I hope that uh, you guys... Test those out and let me know what you think in the comments section. If you want to know more about how to cook right, stay healthy, fuel your body, nourish your body so that you can perform as a human being, perform as an athlete, feed your family, whatever, <laughs> uh, you can check out our Jai Seed e-cookbook. It's a simple download. downloads right to your iPad, your computer. Um, it's just 999, 77 pages of awesome recipes. Uh, if you want to take it one step further, go the whole nine yards, the whole enchilada, you can check out our our online plant-based nutrition course at Mind Body Green, the ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition, which uh is something I'm very proud of. It's three and a half hours of online streaming video content broken up into five to ten minute little pieces, chunks. Uh delightful little morsels of information uh, broken down into specific subject headings. You know, I get a lot of questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? What about when I travel? How do you get your kids to eat healthy? All of those kind of typical issues that arise uh, around the idea of improving your diet or incorporating more plants into your diet, all of those are addressed uh, topic by topic in the course. There's also an online community for support. It's really cool. So check that out. Um, Both the cookbook and the course make great holiday gifts as well. So that would be a good thing too. make a great gift, right? Uh, and also, if it's, uh, if it's time for you to start buying those presents for Christmas, for Hanukkah, for the holiday season, you're probably going to be on Amazon, right? Well, if you're going to shop on Amazon, which you probably are because that's where all the cheap stuff is, more affordable stuff, um, do us a solid and click on the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. We also have uh, one for the UK listeners, an Amazon UK banner. Uh click that first, takes you to Amazon, will not cost you one cent extra on your purchases, like if you're going to purchase Finding Ultra, for example. <laughs> uh, but uh, Amazon kicks us a referral fee and uh, helps keep the lights on, keeps the bandwidth flowing. Um, we appreciate very, very much everybody who's been using it. It's really been amazing. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. Uh, also, you can support the show by donating. Uh, there's a donate button also at richroll.com. You can throw us a few dollars if you like. We appreciate you very much. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology I've been rocking Ons high performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team, from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue and it's been wonderful as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer that's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Let's get into the interview. Um, I'm so uh, proud to call this guy my friend and he is a true inspiration and please prepare yourself because this interview is going to blow your mind there's a little bit of explicit language in here so if you're driving in the car with your kids listening or you're at work or something like that you might want to put on the earbuds or just a you know just a couple uh sort of uh off-color words here and there nothing too crazy but uh this is a very intense story um And uh, again, there is a little bit of uh, off-color language, so just bear that in mind. But please, please give this a listen with an open mind and an open heart, and let Khalil inspire you. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Khalil Rafati, enjoy the show. Dude, we're rolling. Nice. nice. <laughs> so, uh, so the other day, I'm looking at your Instagram feed, and you show this picture. You're getting ready to do the tough mutter. Where was that? Down in Orange County? In Temecula. Yeah. In Temecula with your crew, your staff, breeding uh, employee loyalty. <laughs> yes, building a lot. You're of good camarader. to your staff.
1: I am good to my staff. Um, I took uh, I took four of my top guys to Panama three weeks ago for eight days. And Uh it was absolutely amazing. And then Haley, my girlfriend and my business partner, she took four of our top girls to Kauai, um, about six weeks ago Uh just to reward them and show them how much we love them and care about them. Cool. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it's awesome. You're always doing really fun stuff with the people you work with, which I think that's a big part of your success equation. There's no, but I mean, it's an extension of who you are. Yeah. It's your personality. I,
1: I wouldn't want to do it any other way. I mean, I wouldn't. And, and also, there's a flip side of that. I get to be around people that are smiling all the time and happy and sharing their amazing energy with me. So, uh-huh. you know, it's a win-win.
0: Right. And uh, and so I'm looking at this picture. And then in the comments below, I see that Pamela Anderson is giving you a shout-out. and She's like, go for it. And I was like, whoa. And I, I, I'm sitting with Julie, and I show it to her. I go, check it out. Like, Khalil's doing this Tough mutter with his employees and, you know, Pam Anderson's given him a, given him a shout out. And right at that exact moment, you called me, like this weird synchronicity occurring. Yes. And, uh, and you told me this amazing story about how, uh, Gerard Butler, <laughs> Gerard Butler, the movie star had just been in Sun life and you had given him a book, Yeah, which I greatly appreciate. You're like my pimp. You're always handing out, you, 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 uh, keep, Keep my book on hand for people to buy, and you're always handing it out to cool people. So thank you well, for that.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's you. I wouldn't have been doing the Tough Mudder had it not been for you because I read your book and I was so incredibly inspired by it, and um, decided to take up my friend on his offer to you know to do the first Tough Mudder, which was last year, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, and Pam's a, a dear friend of mine, and uh, and just an amazing person and she's also a vegan and an animal lover and animal rights activist and all that stuff. And she had just done a marathon, which Uh is pretty incredible. Right. Um, and so I had been commenting on her thing, like, you know, congratulations and, and thank you so much. And, you know, for everything you've done. And, um, and then, so she was commenting on mine and, and then with the Gerard, you know, with, with Gerard, I just, I just thought that and not just with him, with, with probably 50 different people who I've given your book to. I wanted him to feel what I felt when I finished reading that book, which was totally inspired.
0: Oh, thanks, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. Really good
0: dude. Good. Well, I look forward to possibly meeting him at some point. You will. But then the funny thing was the paparazzi took a picture of him leaving Sun Life yeah, <laughs> and he's carrying my book. Yeah, and so that it ends up like all over the internet the next day. I didn't even know. Like I, I knew you had called me and you told me like, hey, I gave him your book, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. And then I, you know, I opened up my Twitter the next day and it like exploded because the whatever website it was on, you know, they, they had said, oh, Gerard Butler, leave Sun Life carrying a copy of <laughs> Rich Rolled book. That was pretty cool So funny. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Like, yeah. you know, don't think I didn't post that all over my, my
1: pages, you know. It's a pretty it cool, awesome. pr- pretty great guy to be, you know, to be carrying your book around.
0: Right. So, yeah. Thanks again. You're like my pimp. I'm going to have to find out a super awesome Christmas gift for you. Oh, no, no. Just,
1: just keep doing what you're doing and keep inspiring people. And um, I think it's really I think I don't think I know that that. Moving towards a plant-based diet is what's going to is going to be one of the major shifts that's going to have to take place on this planet. And I want to say first and foremost, I am not a vegan. I'm not even a, a vegetarian mm-hmm. of any sorts. But I do incorporate a lot of plant-based food into my diet. I feel amazing results, and it's really because of people like you, and because of people like Brendan Brazier, and because of people um, that show me how to live instead of telling me how to live. Mm-hmm. Um, what what really rubs me the wrong way about you know 90% of the people who I know that are vegans is they want to tell me how to eat. They want to tell me why I should feel horrible about what I'm eating. Pam never does that ever. She's mm-hmm. so kind and she's so loving and she never you'd never even know that she's a vegan um, because I've eaten meat in front of her many times. Now if I ask her about it, She'll go on and on and on about how cruelty to animals and this and that. And and same thing with you. I was very open and honest with you about not being a vegan and you never said a word. Right. Instead of telling me how to eat, you showed me how to I eat. I never time. tell
0: anybody what to do. Yeah. Well, but we learn that in recovery. Yes. You know what I mean? That comes from that comes from getting sober and maintaining sobriety and what you learned very early on is you stick to sharing your experience. You know, you live your life. You share your experience. You stand where you stand. And if people are interested in that, you you, you remain open and available to that. But it's never, it never comes from a place of um, talking, sort of ta- either talking down to people or preaching or basically, you know, for lack of a better word, telling people what to do or what not to do. Yeah, that doesn't work anyway.
1: And you and you you model what happens to someone when they switch to a plant-based diet you 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 know you you first of all i can look at you and go wow i want to look like that and then i can read your book and i can go wow maybe i don't necessarily want to run an ultraman but i do want to do some some physical things i'd like Mm -hmm. to run a marathon i'd like to maybe even um build up to doing an iron man and most people in the sports world would tell me, well, you've got to eat 150 grams of protein a day right. if you're going to do that, and you need to eat chicken, and you need to eat fish, and this and that. And you are an iconoclast in the sense that you are changing that perception, and you're you're totally proving them wrong. Mm-hmm. And I have friends, you know, I have one one of my best friends who is constantly – shaming me over over eating meat and and sending me pictures when i used to be on facebook she would send me pictures of not on
0: facebook anymore no what happened
1: uh <laughs> i don't know <laughs> all right we don't have, it got weird right. we don't have to talk about no, it. it just it just got weird right. i I'm, I'm on instagram and and i'm and i'm a private instagram you know people can request right. me um sunlife organics has a, a facebook thing and uh-huh. i i will engage on some of that but um I I just got to the point where like, how many shirtless pictures of myself can I put up that are in, you know, that are taken in exotic locations around the world? Uh, At what point is this going to satisfy my ego? And and how is this serving people? How is this serving humanity? You Mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of people back in Ohio where I came from that are struggling um, financially because of, you know, what went on with the whole economic crisis. And I just found myself... I found myself using Facebook as a medium to brag and to build myself up and puff myself up and not really, I didn't, I wasn't really helping anybody by doing that. Mm -hmm. So it just got weird and I just, I made a decision to go off of it for six months and I challenged myself to, um, instead of going on Facebook three hours a day to you know, maybe read a book a month. Mm-hmm. Um, or, Radical. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, but back to what I was saying. You know, I have I have a friend that used to send me these pictures of you know animals, you know, faces being torn off and blah 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 and that, and that was uh, you know supposed to inspire me to mm-hmm. be a vegan. Uh, and in the meantime, they're walking around with the latest calfskin bag you know, from Prada, and it's like, what do you think that means, calf skin? Like, mm-hmm. that's the skin of a calf.
0: <clears throat> and, yeah, and- it is a, there is a weird kind of disconnect between... The food part of it and the sort of the rest of your life and the, yeah. the garments that you wear and, all and where that. do you I mean, and where do you think we're in malibu every woman's wearing uggs you know but they're but they're coming into sunlight for their green juice you know
1: <laughs> yeah and i'm and i'm not faulting them i think that that's whatever i wear right. uggs and and mm-hmm. i eat meat but i'm not gonna you know flip out on a vegan and tell them that they should eat a steak i think that the way that we're going to move forward and evolve as a planet like you said with recovery I can tell somebody all day why they should be sober and how they should be sober and this and that, but what's much more effective is how about I just model what a healthy relationship looks like or how about I model what um, a business owner who's not 100% obsessed with the bottom line, but a business owner that's willing to use cups that are made from vegetables or hire kids from the local community and pay them a fair wage. I would much rather do that, show people who I am, rather than tell people who I am, or even worse, tell people how they should be.
0: Well, I think that's the that's that's the way to go. And you said something a moment ago that I think really kind of defines your ethos, which is, you know, how is this of service? How am I being of service? And when I see you and I see the way that you behave and, and, and how you interact with people and, and how you choose to spend your time throughout the day it always boils down to service. Like, you're constantly in service of other people, whether it's with your employees or the the customers that come through the door or the work that you do in, in recovery. I mean, you really are an example of someone who has devoted their life to service and, you know, are a, a shining example of what happens when somebody is doing that for the right reasons and coming from the heart. Like, your life becomes enriched. Not only do you become a happier person, a more productive person, but you bring richness into your life, and that sort of infuses everything that you do and i i have no there's no doubt in my mind that the success that you're having with sun life is a direct result um to the level of service that you do on a daily basis
1: yeah i mean and and thank you and thank you for saying that um but you know let's keep in mind that I spent the thirty first thirty three years of my life being an absolute taker
0: yeah we're going to get into that yeah <laughs> okay because yeah. i'm
1: not it wasn't like it wasn't like I was some virtuous person that woke up one day and was like, oh, I'm going to treat everyone nice and open this juice bar and walk people's dogs and pick up trash off the ground. It was, you know, falling down face first and, and being miserable and depressed and, and having to find another way to live. And, mm-hmm. and I am incredibly happy today, um, which is a complete contradiction of what my, you know, psychological makeup was for the first time three and a half decades almost of my life.
0: Right. I mean, you say to me that, you know, my story inspires you, but, you know, my sort of, um, fall from grace and struggles with addiction really pale in comparison to what you endured. So I want to, I want to go back and hear about how it all started and what happened. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and mine wasn't so much addiction as I wanted to die. I mean, that was my goal was to die. And I was too scared to, you know to take my own life so putting a needle in my arm you know every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes just was much easier and it took the pain away
0: but how did it get to that place like let's go back to the beginning
1: oh man uh the beginning well uh i had a i had a couple of parents who who probably shouldn't have been parents um they were both immigrants to this country my father was born in palestine right outside of bethlehem and um in 1935, and my mother was born in Poland, in, I think it's called Jedenia, or, I don't know how to pronounce it, actually, but.
0: Gdańsk? No, No.
1: near there, but uh, she was abandoned on a doorstep, you know, had one of those horrible childhoods where she was abandoned on a doorstep, taken in by this family, and then eventually put into a work camp at a very young age, um, and went through all sorts of, you know, horrible stuff. and, and never, and never really talks about any of that. But, um, and then my father was there, my father was 12 years old when the United Nations came in and decided that, um, Palestine was now going to be Israel. So Mm -hmm. he sort of went through his own, you know, went from living on an olive orchard to sleeping in a tent. Wow. Um, becoming, uh, becoming, uh, becoming a, a refugee in the land that he grew up in. So, um, Really, really, you know, they went through really challenging childhoods, and they never learned how to be, um, how to be parents. They're but just trying to survive. They were trying to su- survive, and my dad comes from a really weird culture. I mean, I can say that. Can I say that?
0: You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a it. He comes from a the Middle Eastern culture to me is a very very strange. It was a very strange culture to grow up around. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of violence, a lot of anger. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want to make a blanket statement about a, a, a culture of people and offend anybody. But my own personal experience, you know, my uncles and my relatives and my father, they, they seem pretty angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll hear my dad. We have a great relationship now, but he met another kid here in the juice bar who happens to be... Arabic as well, and they started talking. I thought they were flipping out on each other. Uh They were having the most pleasant conversation ever. But But it it,
0: just sounds for. Even their language sounds sounds angry. So, (laughs) (laughs) anyway. um, So maybe you're misinterpreting this. I I could have missed the whole boat. Maybe he was a really loving, nurturing dad, but he (laughs) sounded angry because
1: I didn't speak his language.
0: So, how did they end up in the United States? She came looking for her
1: mom, her real mom, her birth mother, and like three days before. my mom, she, my grandmother was living in Ohio, um, and three days before my mom got to her, she had taken her own life, or she Ugh. she parked the car in the garage and died of carbon monoxide poisoning.
0: Three days before your before mom arrived my mom, to find her. Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
1: And um, so my mom stayed and worked for that family as a housekeeper, and uh, my father was on his way from Orange, Texas to New York, got lost in a really horrible storm, wound up in Toledo, Ohio, ended up staying in Toledo... He went to University of Toledo. She went to University of Toledo. He was incredibly handsome, and she was incredibly— Just like,
0: just like you, my friend. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and she was incredibly beautiful, and and they fell in love. Um, I don't want to say they shouldn't have had a kid because I wouldn't be here speaking, so I'm glad they had mm-hmm. a kid. They just didn't know how to parent. You are only child? I was an only child from that, <clears throat> from that marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a much older son. Um, he was eight years older than me. And, um, he had, uh, let's just say a a handful of kids from other marriages elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) really, you know, really, um, really, really tough childhood. I Uh mean, really just, um, not even the whole like, you know, anger and violence and stuff like that, but just, uh. I I went through some pretty some pretty bad abuse, so um, like psychological and physical abuse, sexual abuse, I mean, sexual yeah. abuse. Yeah, okay. there was a good there was a good deal of sexual abuse, uh-huh. um, and uh, and just you know left me scarred, left me really really scarred, left me feeling very dirty and and full of shame, and so I started to act out, and when I acted out, I got attention, and so I learned the way to get attention is to act out, and so, so this is like
0: junior high or yeah. elementary school or. That's when I started
1: to really act out. I mean, by mm-hmm. time I was 11, I was arrested. I think 14 I was arrested, and then 15 I was arrested. So I was arrested three times before I was 16 years old. Wow. The last time was for aggravated menacing,
0: which... What does that even mean? Um, aggravated menacing? <laughs> aggravated menacing is,
1: you know... I, I pulled a, a gun on some
0: people. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that assault? I guess uh, yeah, they, they assault try, with a deadly
1: weapon? I, I didn't do anything. I just pulled... Uh, it was an altercation with, with three guys, and you know they said they were going to beat me up or something, and I, so I pulled a gun on them, uh-huh. and they didn't beat me up, but a lot of cops showed up.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And you're ele- you're 11? No, I was 15. 15 at yeah, that time. Yeah. <clears throat> and were you, did you grow up in the city or like in the suburbs?
1: Toledo's a small town. There's about 300,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a great little town. Um, it wasn't great if both your parents were immigrants
0: because everyone's yeah, it's family. It's pretty white bread, you know, west yeah. We're talking like early seventies,
1: early seventies. Most families looked like the Brady bunch mm-hmm. and I didn't, I was dark right. and I had a weird name
0: and yeah, and you're not. It's not like you're living in Brooklyn. I mean, you're you're in no. the middle of America. I was yeah, in the middle of America. That had to be very isolating. I would imagine it was
1: tough. And then, and also because it's a small town, once you become a bad kid, then you're the bad kid. And right. once you develop kind of that reputation, I mean, it, it it got even worse and worse in high school. Where oh, there's that guy. You know, I became sort of uh, infamous in in a sense.
0: Right, and then uh, it becomes a self-perpetuating thing.
1: It did. You you drink and you black out and um, you start fights. And I mean, I mean, that, that's just what I did. Mm -hmm. I would, I would drink and black out and wake up in Bowling Green, or I would drink and black out and wake up in Perrysburg or I would, you know, I just,
0: do you remember, are you one of those guys who can distinctly remember the first time that you got drunk or got high?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was 11 years old. Transformative
0: experience where
1: you think all your problems are suddenly solved. I was 11 years old. I was with my best friend, Teddy Pappenhagen. We walked to a liquor store. I convinced the guy behind the counter that I was buying Mad Dog 2020 for my mother. We bought three bottles. Um... We made it through he about- let you,
0: He let you buy. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because you just could never do that now. You no, know? You know, but- Maybe back, in certain places, but back then, you know. Back then it's Ohio. Deal, my right? mom
1: wants me to buy cigarettes, <clears throat> so they would give you cigarettes. My, right. my dad told me to get a six-pack of beer. They would give you a six-pack of beer. I mean, I remember even 13, 14 years old driving around with the older kids, and they would have a six-pack on their dashboard while they drove. I uh-huh. mean, that's how we lived in right. Ohio. No seatbelts
0: no in the cutlass yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> in the oldsmobile yeah yeah right. in the oldsmobile yeah uh uh-huh. so um yeah we got blind drunk uh teddy became violently ill probably got alcohol poisoning i'm guessing um i kept drinking yeah i kept drinking and i just thought this is remarkable and that that moment that crystallization of thought happened many many more times throughout my life as well so it wasn't like I got drunk and it, and I got that warm feeling all over my body. Yes, I did. And yes, I thought this is wonderful. But I gotta tell you, the first time I took MDMA in my mid-20s was another one of those moments mm-hmm. where I thought I'm gonna feel like this for the rest of my life. First time I did heroin, you know, at 27, I thought, my God, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. So first time I shot up. I mean, there were mm-hmm. many. there were many moments where I was, I had the epiphany that the way to experience life because I was always so suicidal, I just wanted to kill myself. Mm-hmm. But the way to cope with life was to, you know, drink Check or out. yeah, drink or do drugs.
0: So there was never any moment where, you know, you thought maybe I should go talk to a therapist or a counselor at the school or that was never kind of an option or a possibility.
1: You know, I went to a Catholic Jesuit school, so there was a lot of shaming, and oh, I was, yeah. i was, you know, at four— You're already
0: feeling shame, and then you just get pounded with more shame and telling you to you should feel worse than you feel. Yeah. When I
1: <laughs> when I was in fourth grade, they made me eat lunch in the janitor's room at St. Patrick's of Heatherdowns. They they stuck me in the janitor's room, and um, for— Because you were just—you were a rabble-rouser? I would break laugh, I would have kids surround me, and then I would break a glass bottle on the playground, and we would all laugh and fall on the ground laughing. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and the lunch mothers didn't think it was cool, so they right
0: they stopped. And there's me. no. I mean, it's such a different time. I mean, now if if a kid starts doing that, they go, hey, you know, this kid's in trouble. There's something going on at home. Let's like let's find out what's happening. See if yeah. we can be of help. But you know, 1973 to you know whatever yeah. whatever it was. I mean, you yeah, know, that's that was 1981.
1: That was 1981, and it was nuns and priests, for the most part, and, uh-huh. and some other, you know, some other teachers. Um, most of my teachers made me feel absolute shame and made me feel even more ostracized than I already felt. So keep in mind, 11 was the last time I was sexually abused. So I'm 11 years old, I'm and feeling- you never
0: told anyone, you're just oh, holding the secret no. down. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't tell people right. back then, especially,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess it would be different now, or maybe it's not different now. I think I think maybe a lot more people were, were molested than actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the last time was the worst because it was my swim coach who I loved. I mean, I really, really loved him. I mean, wow. I, I looked up to him. He was in his late thirties. Um, he had a beautiful girlfriend and a couple of kids together. They weren't married, but it just seemed like the ideal relationship. And I wanted to be just like this guy. His name was Brian and, um, took me camping, you know, and, uh,
0: yeah, it was horrible. It was Ugh, a horrible. I'm so sorry. I can't. I can't even fathom it. I mean, I have a little bit of indirect um, experience with that, uh, and you know, I don't know what it is with swim coaches, but you know, it's it's literally epidemic in the swimming world with swim coaches. I
1: watched that documentary on that woman last night.
0: Which what's which one's that? Um, the
1: Cuba, the woman that swam from Cuba, oh, and I Yes, I uh-huh. watched that last night. I was crying. I was by myself and I was crying. I'm like, how did she, she went through the exact same thing that I went through Mm -hmm. and it was her swim coach. And I just, and Haley came home and she's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I was really, really shaken up last night. Wow. Um, kind of brought that trauma
0: back. Mm -hmm. But, um, so let me just, I'll I'll just interject with one quick story that's, that's sort of related. My swim coach, uh, Rick Curl, who was a big-time swim coach in the Washington, D.C. area. He was, like, the guy. And I talk about him in my book. Um, He really was the guy who helped develop me from just an average swimmer into, like, a swimmer who was getting recruited at all these colleges. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, this guy was like a father figure to me. You know, I wrote about him in my college essays, you know, about how he had mentored me. And my first girlfriend in high school was Kelly Davies, and she was the star. She was – Ranked, I think she, I think by the time she was a senior in high school, she was ranked number one in the world in the 200 fly. Wow. She'd won the Goodwill Games. I believe she won, won at the Goodwill Games. And she was going into the 1988 Olympic trials as basically one of the top contenders to make the Olympic team in the 200-meter butterfly. Anyway, she was like the favorite of Rick, right? And, yeah. and we all would joke, you know, oh, she gets special treatment. And, and, like, I'm dating her. I was a senior in high school, and she was two years younger than me. And she was my first, like, real girlfriend. Yeah. And there was no Dr. Drew on the radio to, like, listen to Loveline and kind of clue into. Yeah, you know You yeah. know, kind of to be attuned to the signs when there's some abuse going on. And in retrospect now, it's so clear. But essentially, Rick had been sexually abusing her since she was 13. Oh, my I'm, God. But it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was like they were in, like, a quote-unquote relationship where he would psychologically abuse her by saying, you know, someday you're going to have my children and right. all this sort of stuff. So right. in her mind, she's having a love affair with her coach. Yeah. And, uh, and <clears throat> by the time I went off to Stanford, then the rumors came out that her parents had, essentially Kelly started suffering from anorexia and bulimia and all these problems. Wow. She had to go into a rehab facility. She went to the Olympic trials and did horribly, performed horribly. And her parents were like, what is going on? Yeah. Her dad found her diary, read it. Whoa. And, uh, and it kind of told the tale of what was going on, and he freaked out. Yeah. And then they you know, basically went after him and sued him and settled out of court for like a pittance. Wow. And it was kind of, Kelly wanted to move on with her life, and uh, she was living in Texas at the time and wanted to put it behind her. And, and all of my friends that were on the team at the time, we all kind of knew yeah. something had happened, but we didn't really know. Yeah. And I'd never seen anything up close and personal. Like, I had no direct... <clears throat> Evidence of anything, but none of us were, I guess, all that surprised. And and essentially, what happened was this past Olympics, um, she just she was she saw Rick Curl on the deck at Olympic Trials on in the television broadcast, and she just brought it all back. And she's oh like, "Oh my God, I can't! Like, I need to, you know, like she she's still living with all of this yeah. because it never really had been fully processed. Yeah. And so it all finally came out in the open. It was a front page news story in the Washington Post. He got prosecuted, and he's in jail now. Wow. But it took, I mean, this was going on in 1984, 83, yeah. and only this past year did he kind of have to deal with it. And it creates a lot of weird emotions, even though I was not the subject of the abuse. Yeah, Here's a guy who, in many ways, was like a father figure to me. Sure. And, and under my nose, while I'm dating my first girlfriend, yeah, he's doing this horrific thing to her. You wow. know, like it's just a, a bizarre thing. But anyway... Nothing like what you suffered through.
1: No, but, but related. And, mm-hmm. and it's sad. It's sad when an adult would do something like that to a child. I mean, I don't, for the life of me, I, I, it doesn't register. It wasn't, and for me, the thing that I struggled with in early recovery was like, it's not like I was some you know, hot 17-year-old girl and he was this 35-year-old right. guy. You know, I was a little boy you know yeah. and not that it would be okay if i was some hot 17-year-old girl but at least i could somehow understand like wow he had a weak moment or whatever but no this guy was right. really really sick and um what happened to him um you know wh- who knows he's out there somewhere he's probably he was 38 i believe at that time that was 1981 i can't do math but i'm guessing he's probably in his 70s or 80s or something and mm-hmm. how sad yeah. how sad that he had to carry that with him. And by the way, when we got older, when we were in high school, I think we were seniors in high school. There's a few of us that used to be on the swim team at, at, uh, at our country club back in Toledo. Um, randomly, it just came up. This one guy, Andy, um, and my buddy, Teddy, you know, they said like, you know, Did that guy ever like, you know, grab your dick or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it uh-huh. because, I don't know, maybe, maybe to them, it wasn't as traumatizing or whatever, but, um, I wasn't the only one. So this is something, this, this, I'm, I, I'm, you know, this is somebody that was a sexual predator that, you know, sexually molested young boys, maybe young girls as well. And, um, and had to live with that for the rest of his life. So when it came time for me to let that resentment go, I literally just had to like, Picture him as an old man sitting by himself, living with all of that guilt and all of that shame, and I just had, you know, I cried, and I just had to say, like, mm-hmm. "Hey, man, I forgive you, you know, right. whoever you are. If he's still alive, um, yeah, I forgive him, and and it's it's horrible, and go make some sort of amends to society, you know, right? Because otherwise, <clears throat> it'll eat you alive.
0: But the journey to get to that place where you can truly, from your heart, forgive somebody for doing that is got to be quite the mountain to climb.
1: Yeah. And seemed insurmountable in early recovery. I mm-hmm. mean, when they said, uh, you know, they showed me the steps on the wall or whatever in rehab, I was just like, yeah, right. I'm not doing any of that <laughs> shit. I <laughs> want to put some weight on and go get <clears throat> high properly. Uh-huh. You know, in the end, the wheels fell, fell off. I mean, the end the last 18 months of my using, I was homeless and I don't mean homeless. Like I was sleeping on some girl's how or some girl's sofa, or sleeping in a car—like I was homeless, homeless. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: you were down on Skid Row. I right? was down on Skid Row. But yeah. let's back it up a little bit. So, so you're still in high school. You have this experience, but you know what? What? Where? How does it build from there?
1: Oh, God! Uh, I ended up getting kicked out of St. Pat's—that school. I think I was in eighth grade. I got kicked out of there. Went to this. Public junior high almost got kicked out of there my third day. Um, ended up going to a school called St. John's, which is another Jesuit school. Ended up getting kicked out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, tried <laughs>
0: Your academic career just skyrocketing. Yeah, rockening. it didn't.
1: <laughs> I didn't end up at U of M. Uh, uh-huh. I um, I kind of got enrolled in another school called Mommy Valley Country Day School, but I ended up getting into an altercation somewhere, and they ended up sending a letter saying, "Sorry, you're not welcome." Last ditch effort. I went to public school. I went to a place called Bowser High School, um, and ended up dropping out up uh-huh. there. So, and
0: meanwhile, your parent. What are your parents thinking? Like, what's you know, what's the home front, or are they just my, checked my, out, or? Yeah,
1: my dad pretty much left when I was seven and was gone for eight years. Was living all over the world. Oh, wow. Came back when I was fifteen. Tried to be a parent, but by that time, I was so combative that i was impossible to mm-hmm. deal with and not that he was like mr you know like great dad or anything but he came back in like okay son now you're gonna get good grades right. and i'm After like he's been a
0: rambling man yeah for the last you know
1: and i was like you know fuck this i'm not having any of it right. so um job to job school to school you know just failing my way through life everything failed ruined every relationship i was ever in Ruined every job I was ever in, got fired, um, got kicked out or dropped out of every school I ever went to, and really was just kind of a,
0: a, a fucking loser. Mm-hmm. I mean. Um, Meanwhile, the drinking and the, the drug use is escalating, I assume.
1: It's escalating. I would try to control it, but um, I got to tell you, when I would finally fold and give in, it was the greatest. There was nothing better. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I would finally just fold and go for the bottle or go for some pills or some weed or whatever, the relief was oh, man, it was so good. It was so good. Mm-hmm. But it really it really didn't take over. I didn't cross the invisible line. I left Ohio. I came out to California um, and did okay for a while. Um, what, what brought you out here? I, just, I had to get out of there. I knew I was going to die if I stayed there. Mm-hmm. I was getting in more and more and more trouble. I started doing some really just stupid shit, and I knew I was going to die if I stayed there. Mm-hmm. So. I got really drunk one night up in Detroit in Greektown. I got into a big argument with my buddies that I was with, and I was just like, are you allowed to swear on this thing? I was you can fe- swear-
0: say whatever you want. All right, I feel weird. No, like, it's so good. Yeah. I, I literally jumped
1: up on a car, and I was like, "You know, fuck <laughs> you guys. You're going to die here. You're never going to get out of this shitty little town, and, and you're going to die here. And I wasn't counting on the response back, which right. was, well, what are you going to do? And I was just stunned. I was like, what do you mean? I'm going to California. And they're like, you've been talking that shit for five years. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm leaving tomorrow. And they said, bullshit. And I was so drunk and I had so much false pride that I flipped out. And I was like, fuck you. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving tomorrow. And, you know, none of you guys have the balls to come with me. And like four of them said, I'll come with you. Woke up the next morning so hungover. I don't even know how we got home. I drove, but I didn't remember that. Right. And you know that feeling where <clears throat> you want to, like, shave your tongue because it's so, like, mm-hmm. dirty and swollen from I the cigarettes well. and the booze? Yeah, so I had that feeling. Face was swollen. Um, had about $800 to my name. And I packed my car, and I had this brilliant idea. I'm going to drive to my dad's restaurant, and he'll stop me. Cause my dad was like still trying to be a disciplinarian and a stern Muslim right. father. So, um, that was my out. I knew that I'd go to his restaurant and he'd flip out and then I could tell everybody like, yeah, my fucking dad went crazy. And so I have to stay for a little while right. longer. I packed the car up. I like literally put a pillow in the back window just to show how serious I was. <laughs> and I drove to his restaurant. My dad's very punctual. And I got there like five minutes till five. Cause I knew at five o'clock on the dot, he would be walking up.
0: What kind of restaurant was it?
1: Um, it was called Mac and Tongs. It was kind of like a um, uh, just everything steaks right. and salads. And my stepmom made some Korean food. My stepmother is from Korea, uh-huh. so okay. mother from Poland, father from Palestine, stepmother from Korea. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> That's confusing. Confusing yeah. and yeah. So anyway, so, all right. So, so you're hoping for the intervention from from big big lovable. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Good old Mac's gonna come up and, and flip out and tell me I gotta stay. So I'm sitting in my car, car's running. He walks up, and he walks right past the car. So I roll down the window and I go, Dad. And he turns around, and he goes, Yeah. And I said, I'm moving to California. And he looks at the car and he looks inside the car and he looks at me and he goes, Good luck. <laughs> 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 and walks away. <laughs> And I sobbed. I sobbed. I cried. I got on the turnpike and I drove and I cried. I probably cried through three states. I just drove and I drove and I drove and I cried and I cried and I cried. Oh my God. And I knew, I knew it was done. I knew it was over. I didn't know what was coming and I was terribly afraid of the unknown, but I just kept driving until I could no longer drive. I probably drove like 16 hours. Mm. and uh, eventually went to a Motel 6 and woke up the next day, and I was in. You know, I got You're jumped like, in. I'm
0: committed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to show those guys. Yeah. So you, I, had, you had enough pocket money to get you through? I had 800 of- bucks,
1: and uh, there was a guy named Dean Carr who was living on 4th and Mol- Molino in downtown L.A., right by the 4th Street Bridge. It's a hip area now.
0: Right. 23 Nothing. years ago. Yeah. It's a shooting gallery. Oh, my
1: God. It was beyond. I mean, it just you know, crazy. But anyway, this guy, Dean Carr, who didn't really know me, let me stay at his place. He was the one guy that you knew that lived out here. I didn't know him. I knew his roommate and his roommate said, yeah, man, come out anytime, Mm -hmm. which I thought in Ohio, if you say, you know, come out, that means, you know, come out and stay and we'll help you get a job and this and that. Well, in LA, come out means come out for a couple of days and then hit the road. Right. And so, no, I met Dean through this other guy, Kenny and, uh, I was pleading with Kenny. I was like, dude, I have nowhere to go. I don't have any money. And Dean came downstairs. He's like, you can crash up in my place. Mm. Let me stay with him. Mm. until I got a job and made a little bit of money. How old were you at the time? I was 21 turning 22. I turned 22 while living upstairs at Dean's like four days later. Wow. And Dean was an art student at um, Pasadena School of Art and Design. He was broke too. Right. but we just kind of we hung out Dean is a, a great success today he's a huge director he's done you know uh, videos and movies and all that and we've remained friends all throughout the years mm-hmm. but um, yeah it was a crazy crazy beginning and um, but I, as I said before I did okay I mean I, 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 because I'm Polish and Arab I'm a worker
0: Did you have that thing where you know in, in recovery they call it pulling a geographic? Where you thought you know if I can just get out of Ohio sure. or get out of Michigan, then uh, you know I can put all this this crazy lifestyle habits, he's, he's using, and all of that behind me, and I'll start fresh.
1: For sure, yeah, yeah. for sure, and it worked. I mean, it did. It worked. It worked temporarily it worked for a little while. It worked temporarily. <laughs> I mean, within within
0: until you realize you brought yourself with you.
1: That, yeah, once I got over the ocean, once the novelty of the warm weather wore off, I will tell you something interesting that did happen. The panic and anxiety attacks that I had suffered through for my whole life, the like debilitating panic attacks, they started to really go away once I got out into the sunlight and started exercising.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: so that was good. Um, got a job working for Elizabeth Taylor, which was amazing. How does that happen? That's like
0: one of those crazy Hollywood stories. Like I arrived and the next day, I'm like, you know, hanging out with a movie star. It (laughs) wasn't,
1: it wasn't the next day. It was, it was six months later. And I was so naive that I took like a bucket and a chamois and a rag and some cards. And I like went around to car dealerships and said like, I'm a car detailer, you know, and please hire me. And they all just, they pretty much all laughed me away. Uh huh except BMW of Santa Monica called me um, a few months later. And, and by the way, most people, like when I would go to their house in the Santa Monica Canyon, they would either like threaten to call the police or they'd invite me in and make me lunch. Right, and so me- you're
0: literally knocking on doors yep. saying you want your car detail. Yeah,
1: uh-huh.
0: yeah. You are a worker. I'm a worker, man, uh-huh. Polish and Arab. <laughs> so, all right, so Elizabeth Taylor, like how does that happen?
1: So BMW of Santa Monica called and they said... Um, we have a customer that just bought a car from us and they want you to go to their house. Can you do that? And I was like, of course I can. And they said, okay, here's the address, 700 names. you know, go to the house and went to the house, detailed the car. Um, got some, you know, check, uh, I don't know what the name on it was, but like some Jewish accountant's right. name on a check and 125 bucks. And I left and they called me the next week. Can you come back up and detail the car? And I'm like, Oh well, you're not supposed to detail cars every week. You're supposed to do them like every three months. And they're mm-hmm. like, Okay, so can you come up and detail the car? And I'm like, Well, I mean I can, but you know, you're really not supposed to detail them. And they're like, Do you do you want to do this or not? And I'm like, So I went back up again. I detailed the car. And mm-hmm. then while I was up there, they were like, Can you, you know, do the motorcycles? Can you do this? Can you do that? So
0: you're said, up at some mansion. I'm up Beverly at some Hills. mansion. I'm just yeah.
1: I'm just working. And so I'm in the garage and I'm detailing if I remember correctly uh, a 1978 Aston Martin Lagonda and a wow. couple of and a couple of motorcycles. And this will show you how I'd like to call it naive but it's probably more like stupid. One of the motorcycles literally said purple passion on it. Uh-huh. That was her perfume back then. Right, you you right, probably right, don't remember, right. but
0: No, I, I remember that.
1: So I'm I'm <clears throat> detailing the the motorcycles, I'm detailing the the uh, Lagonda and this Dude, this dude came out with a V-neck dirty white T-shirt on and like yellow stains under his armpits and he's smoking a cigarette and he's kind of eyeballing me and I'm I'm from Ohio. I'm still young, full of piss and vinegar. So I start eyeballing him and then he comes in he, and he goes to open the refrigerator and I was like, hey man, you can't do that. And he's like, I can't do what? And I'm like, you can't do that. I'm working in here. This is my space. You just, you just back off, okay? Because uh-huh. I'm responsible for everything in here. And he is like, looked at me, stepped back, lit another cigarette, just staring at me the whole time. And he said, do you want a cigarette? And I said, I do. And so I smoked a cigarette. He smoked a cigarette. And he just walked away. Uh So three days later, I get a phone call from the guy there was Come always this detail the
0: no <laughs> no larry and it was, El- i was gonna say is it was it larry larry, larry what, was guy? what was that guy's larry last fortensky. name fortensky that's right so he he's the guy that she met in rehab in betty ford yeah right <laughs> so larry and elizabeth
1: would like to know if you would be their houseboy, and i'm like who's larry and elizabeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Uh-huh. So yeah, it was like one of those movies because That's cr- that I went is up there and signed all these, you know, non-disclosures. And, yeah. Um, so
0: that means you you can't talk about it here. You can't you can't tell me any good
1: stories. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think because she died or whatever, maybe I can or I don't know. Is someone gonna get mad as I said. I you know petted her dog or pet her dog. Of or not. Yeah. Um, it was what it was. It was an incredible job, but um. You know, drinking and and drugs and and back then it was like, I think the Garden of Eden was the big nightclub and, you know, hanging out with Love and Rockets and all these cool fancy people that I Mm -hmm. had grown up listening to. That took precedence over, you know, having a good job and making money. I very quickly found trouble. And this trouble was different. These people... It's not Toledo. It's not Toledo. These people, like, didn't go to the blind pig you know, the local bar called the blind pig and and drink too many beers and throw up on themselves and go home. These people drank and did drugs like professionals. Mm -hmm. These people were armed to the teeth with cash and fame and, and drugs. And I started, you know, dating some C-list actresses and a couple of models and hanging out with some of the right people slash wrong people. And it really turned into something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, really turned into something. And you know, and there's a million stories in there, and I don't want to, I don't want to bore you with them. But, um, I, I became a, a professional partier very right. quickly. <clears throat>
0: How long did that take? From you know, kind of, you know, when you're working at. Uh, Elizabeth's house to the real like descent into the real darkness.
1: I I went I went from hero to zero pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean I was like calling my folks back home and like oh yeah I'm working Elizabeth Taylor's or I'm detailing you know Axl Rose's car whatever and um, to like hey can you send me a couple hundred dollars? Mm-hmm. I mean it, it happened pretty quickly, and I went through periods of prosperity. I would find a way to buy a thousand hits of ecstasy and, you know, go to a rave and, and sell them and have people selling with me. And I was pretty industrious and I was a worker, like, you know, like we joked about, mm-hmm. but, um,
0: that combination with a, with a strong drug habit though, can take you down pretty quick. Yeah. Because yeah. That industriousness, you know, that's, that's what allows you to be able to continue to find the drugs that you need without any money and right hus- hustle. And, you know,
1: right. And, and I, once I opened Pandora's box, I mean, once I un- unleashed the seed of self-destruction, there was no turning back because I could go for five days and then I'd wake up two days later and I would be like, wow, you're a piece of shit. You should mm-hmm. just kill yourself. Right. And then I'd get high and I would wake up three days later, like, wow, you're really a piece of shit. And slowly but surely I destroyed my credit I destroyed my relationships. I destroyed my, you know, my job. Eventually, I was fired mm-hmm. from that job. Um,
0: yeah, and I mean, in, you know, in Toledo, you go out and you know you might find yourself in the parking lot of the Seven Eleven. But in L.A., there's a big, you know, dark side that you, <laughs> you yeah, and in, in LA, you can tap into, and you can find yourself in some pretty gnarly dark circumstances.
1: I was uh, like literally at a gym working out. Met a guy who was the roommates with. I think his, his roommate's name was Roger. Roger happened to be the manager of Porno for Pyros. We went over to meet Perry at Perry's house and then, yeah. And then a week later I'm like, wow, I'm smoking crack. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know.
0: Yeah. And you're young and you get, you you have stars in your eyes yeah. and suddenly you're hanging out with a rock star and you want to look cool and for you're, sure you're doing something you never thought you would ever do before. yeah going to score crack at
1: three o'clock in the morning in a right. really bad neighborhood that i shouldn't have been in, and, <laughs> and just thinking
0: oh it's so cool because i'm hanging out with perry farrell yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. so um so <clears throat> you're on this slide and then you know how does it occur that suddenly you're you're down on skid row
1: um because going downtown and scoring for people became how i was supporting myself and it right. vent- so
0: for people that are listening that don't know in los angeles um, you know, if you, if you want to score hard hard drugs, I mean, basically you go down to MacArthur Park or somewhere in the the vicinity of that, which is downtown LA. Most people in Los Angeles don't live in downtown LA. That's a trek across town to do that. That takes a little effort.
1: Well, it's also incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to, you can get your drugs during the day, but for people like me and the people I was hanging with, there is no day, you know, like the book Permanent Midnight. That's Mm -hmm. what, that's what he meant. I would imagine, I don't know the guy, but My life became permanent midnight. It was always midnight, you know. And the one thing that this guy said to me as he was teaching me how to shoot up, he was literally like needle in my arm. He looks at me and he goes, there's no Christmas for junkies. And I'm like, okay, can you just, can you finish here? He's like, I just want you to know that there's no Christmas for junkies. I was was like, that
0: the first time that you he said that? First to you, the time first I shot time? up. Yeah. Had you been smoking heroin before that? Tons. I mean, so there was a lead up. before yeah. you, start, you started yeah. shooting. Right? I was
1: smoking massive amounts of black tar heroin, and it just stopped working. I mean, it was buying three or four grams a day.
0: That becomes a full time job, just yes. feeding the habit.
1: Yes, and uh, that that what he said to me. I, I remember the day that I understood what he meant. Mm-hmm. I remember Christmas Day, downtown L.A. No one's out, and I'm dope sick, and I'm I'm like violently ill, like shitting my pants, throwing up, trying to find someone to sell me dope, and uh, and that far away laughter like Pink Floyd talked about starts to starts to creep in, and uh, and you know I just it was horrible. Those was really really bad really dark
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: it, there, there's an element of spiritual warfare i think to to drugs and alcohol that most people don't ever consider but explain explain that a little bit there's there's forces there's forces there's 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 dark and and first of all there's light light is everything God is light light is everything but there is the absence of light as mm-hmm. well
0: I think that there's a <clears throat> sort of this sense, maybe it's like a new age thing where if you're like spiritual, then it's all like bliss and love and happiness. And it's like, I agree with you. I think that, you know, there are very dark forces at play. There is the light and there is the bliss and there is the love, but there's also the dark forces and the, you know, the sort of things that are pulling you in a direction that doesn't serve you. I mean, there's, there is that polarity in spirituality that I think doesn't get talked about enough.
1: And remember what my intentions were. My intentions were to die. So mm-hmm. I was indulging in that darkness. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you call to that darkness, it's going to answer. If you begin to, you know, romance that darkness, it's going to romance you right back. There's going to be some incredible honeymoon period, you know. I right. mean, I had quite a dance with the devil, and I don't mean that literally. I'm not some, you know, religious person, but um, I had quite a dance. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were some very, very glamorous moments. There was some big, you know, like Oprah says, aha moments. I had, I had some of those moments. Um, and then it gets dark mm-hmm. and then it gets darker and then it gets darker and they talk about hitting a bottom and there's certain people, some are sicker than others. They say in 12 step programs, I was one of those people that I hit the bottom and, and, you know, I just kept digging and, uh, He said I could say anything, so I'm going to just say it because it's been on my mind for the last few days. I was listening to a woman share about how, you know, oh, my God, it got so bad in the end. I was with all these professional hockey players, and they all wanted to sleep with me. And, you know, that was my last drink of wine. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm like, holy shit, that that was it? That was her bottom? That was her Mm – that was like her darkness? And not that – my right, daughter, it's all relative. It it's sounds all like that—that
0: that sounds like a quality problem for somebody for, else. For you her, know? but for her, everybody has their moment. Yeah,
1: it was devastating, and thank <clears throat> God it drove her to sobriety. You know, yeah. I'm in the back of the room going like, I had a homeless crack dealer playing with my feet while he was jacking off, and I'm thinking, this isn't that bad. Right, I'm not having sex with the guy.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean that. Yeah,
0: I mean you're 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 definitely a low bottom drunk for sure. I'm I a mean, low bottom drunk. You know, and I never, I never, I don't think I ever consciously thought like I want to kill myself. I, I never really entertained suicidal thoughts for more than like you know glimpsing moments. But I can remember very distinctly when I watched Leaving Las Vegas that mm-hmm. movie, and watching it and just thinking that looks good. You know, like I'm, I'm right with him. I'm like, this, this looks like a guy who's having a good time. You know, like yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I can see myself doing that. You yeah. Know? Whereas, you know, I went with a buddy of mine and, uh, you know, this is when I was still drinking, obviously when that movie came out and he was horrified. You know, he's like, I can't, you know, he was like, he was ill from seeing that movie. Like he couldn't relate at all. And I'm like, I'm right with them. I'm and, right and with it. Cage, you know, yeah, And that. for
1: me, it was less than zero. At the mm-hmm. end, when Robert Downey Jr. dies or his character dies, I was like, "Oh my God, that's amazing!" I thought that was great. <laughs> I I, I yeah. loved watching his friends cry for him. Like um, that warmed my heart. Right. So that this was is like, the
0: final chapter that I want.
1: That was my objective. Is like I'm gonna maybe write some songs because I was doing some music, which which I didn't mention. I don't even know if it's worth mentioning. But I was in a band and I had mm-hmm. some amazing moments with that as well, and wrote some really cool stuff. Um, but my plan was to finish up the record and die. And then I could have some sort of legacy to it's leave like behind. It's like martyrdom.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And in fact, when Kurt Cobain, you know, died or was murdered or whatever happened with that, um, I was horrified. I was pissed. I was like, oh my God, that, but wait, that's my plan.
0: He stole your plan. He stole my
1: plan, but the, <laughs> but the, but the one thing he had that I didn't was talent and fame.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but don't underestimate the uh, aptitude for the uh, addict or alcoholic to have that megalomania about grandiose, like, where, yeah, that grandiose, grandiose. idea of, of where you fit into that. You know, how world, dare he? You know? I was pissed,
1: and I was a fan, mm-hmm. but I was pissed. He took mm-hmm. my idea.
0: <laughs> I got news for you: it's not the most novel idea. No, yeah, no. And so, I'm- so all right. So you're down on Skid Row. So, so where is the bottom then? I mean, eventually, you know, you have to reach this moment where you make this decision that. You can't go on.
1: There was, you know, again the bottom. I mean that that's that's a whole book in itself. I mean that's some sad, mm-hmm. dark, you know, bizarre, almost unbelievable moments that I am still haunted by, you know, to this day. I mean, and and just an example, county jail. You know, L.A. County Jail is worse than most prisons in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent many days kicking and and and. You know, soiling myself. <clears throat> You're in Gen Pop. No, I was on the fourth floor, which was the Pill Pod, which was for crazy people. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I've gone in and done panels down there. Yeah,
1: I was with the crazies. I was with I was. I think we had the bright yellow outfits on. Everyone uh-huh. else had orange.
0: It's a frightening place to be.
1: Frightening, and and you never quite get over the smell, and um, you don't shower because of what would happen to you if you did. Mm -hmm. um, at the hands of others. And, um, you know, so county jail, there was many overdoses, um, went to just about every hospital, you know, around, um, had, had some things happen to me on the streets, which happen to people that live on the streets. Um, and, uh, Started having seizures when I would shoot coke. I would shoot too much coke, and I would have seizures. And mm-hmm. You're
0: doing like speed balls.
1: I was doing mostly speed balls, but I would shoot coke or smoke crack. I, w- I would do anything, but mostly, mostly speed balls. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to someone like me when you're dealing drugs on a street corner and you're not affiliated with a gang? Things happen to you that you know are are not are not good. And uh, yeah, it was really really dark. And I I had a, a series of events that just led me to just saying, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I just really can't do this anymore. And
0: I had- So it wasn't one like moment or no. really dramatic event. It was just the accumulation of this slide that finally one day- It was, yeah. was not like, unlike many other days, you Yeah, just had, you had that, you woke up with a sense of willingness. I had
1: a bad seizure, um, was in a gully. Um, I had made my way back out to Malibu because there was this, these people- that let me stay on their property sometimes and shower up and, you know, get a fresh change of clothes. And I was on my way to that property and I shot too much Coke and wound up having a seizure, lost my vision for a while, lost the use of my legs, laid in a gully, had bugs crawling all over me, um, and spent hours and hours praying for my sight to return and for my legs to start working again. And I just, I made a pact with whatever it is that created me that, um, that that was it. That I just I just wanted out. I didn't want to I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I would do anything. And um, a guy named Bob Forrest. I know Bob. Okay, a guy named <coughs> Bob Forrest.
0: He just dropped me off. Oh, he did. Yeah, he's amazing. And and for the listener out there, you might know him because he's. Dr. Drew's like main man and yeah. all the and uh, all those uh, what are those shows called Celebrity Celebrity Rehab, Rehab shows yeah. yeah but Bob's a real deal yeah
1: Bob Bob lied to a guy named Buddy Arnold who was in charge of an organization called Musicians Assistance Program right lied to Buddy Buddy and told him that I was a uh, an accomplished musician which I wasn't mm-hmm. and uh, that I was a published musician which I wasn't and that I desperately needed treatment and he convinced Buddy to send me to Pasadena Recovery Center. So
0: you're able to get into that program under that under the, the yeah. musicians assistant program. Yes. Oh, gotcha. Uh-huh. They paid Had meet- you met Bob before? Did you you knew him or No, I
1: I was I was shooting up with some woman named Penny who claimed to be Penny Lane that that song was written about her. <laughs> and, Only in Hollywood and man. she yeah. knew Bob Forrest and uh-huh. uh, and everyone knows Bob, right? Yeah. I mean everyone cool knows Bob. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Penny called Bob and um, yeah, they got me in and I didn't I didn't sleep for about three and a half weeks and I don't mean I had broken sleep I mean I didn't sleep um, wow. I turned all kinds of different colors and um, yeah it was horrible
0: Wow and had was that your first you'd been in detoxes before I just never took I detox
1: in county jail I detox at home um, I, I tried going through a couple of outpatients when I still had money um, my, my ex-girlfriend's dad stuck me and her in a treatment center maybe a few years earlier and I ended up jumping out of the third story window to the next right. building and running away. So that I, industriousness yeah again. I, I had never I had never gone through treatment. That uh-huh. was my first time through treatment. Right. And I haven't gone through treatment since. That was June eighteenth, two 2003. Um, it was about 10 years ago. They paid for me to go to sober living after that um, and they gave me40 dollars a week to live on. Mm-hmm. And that was my life, and so where did,
0: where was the sober living house
1: oh God, um roscoe and white oak mm-hmm. um, hell yeah um and uh you know end of summer one hundred and seventeen degrees outside i mean just really really tough, yeah, forty dollars a week to live on
0: but when you you end up in uh in the recovery house i mean are you you're are you ready to sort of do something different you're ready you' you have a willingness to kind of move in a different direction or did that take were you stubborn and still fighting this or you had made this pact right so i presume that you had had some there was something inside of you that was like ready to turn the page
1: you know what uh my third day when i was in treatment I, i fell on my knees and i was crying i was in so much pain emotional pain and everything was coming out and i was just crying and crying and crying and crying And I was on my knees, and I went to Catholic school, so I just like folded my hands like this, um, because I guess that's what I was taught when I was a kid. If you're going to talk to God, you have to fold your hands. Mm -hmm. So I folded my hands, and um, I closed my eyes, and I said, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you're there, please take this hell away from me those are my exact words it doesn't even make sense when I say mm-hmm. it now but as I was sobbing those are the words that came out whoever you are whatever you are please take this hell away from why me why doesn't that
0: make sense I mean that's pretty pretty clear
1: y- y- well it was clear but I don't know I-, I suppose I could have worded it better if I were in better condition but uh-huh. that's what came out and and the moment I said that when I said please take this hell away from me there was a there was a lifting it was just a lifting. I can't really describe it other than a heavy heaviness, a darkness. My cravings didn't go away, and I, I always forget to say that. My cravings definitely did not go away for a year, mm-hmm. um, but there was a lifting. There was a darkness that left me in that moment, and there was a light that came into my heart. And um, there was no bar- burning bush or there was no you know clear message at that time, but there was just this lifting.
0: That's definitely, you know, this. you hear it. A lot like that spiritual experience that you have where it was a suddenly experience. things look a little bit different.
1: Yeah. I knew I knew in that moment that God existed. I knew in that moment that God existed. It wasn't about faith. It was a knowing in my heart that God existed. I decided in that moment that I was going to give this whole thing a shot.
0: Mm-hmm. What?
1: Oh, I said I have to pee.
0: Oh, you have to pee? Yeah. <laughs> Go pee now. We'll pause it. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, Hold cool. Hold on. We'll be back in a second.
1: <laughs> I didn't know if that was yeah. legal.
0: Voicing change. Media.
1: Too much veggie juice. No, good.
0: Okay. All right, we're back. You feel better.
1: I feel so much better. I didn't know what to do. I'm yeah. like, how do I have to pee? I've done that
0: before with my own podcast. I'm I'm the one interviewing and I go, yeah. I got to I got to pee, man. We got to pause it. Oh, good. <laughs> like, so now so I know. No, no problem. Okay. Um so we were talking about uh the you know, having this spiritual experience and and kind of having this knowingness that, you know, God exists in your life and uh and and this is the beginning of kind of turning the, you know, turning this uh this train around mm-hmm. so what is that I mean you're in the sober you, you go through the rehab you're in the sober living and I assume you're starting to go to meetings and kind of uh, you know get situated in the recovery community in LA like how, what does that you know what does that look like like what's going on in your life
1: Well they made us go to meetings mm-hmm. so I mean and I went to meetings
0: you weren't happy about it though well, I didn't
1: go inside.
0: Uh uh-huh. Oh, you stood outside and, and smoked, smoked cigarettes, yeah. <laughs> and hit on newcomers or like outside the log cabin or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah.
1: log cabin and 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 Melrose and Mansfield and the tar pits Sorry. meetings. So
0: all the cool Hollywood meetings. Yes, yes. Sundowners, tar pits, anything, rodeo, um,
1: and then eventually started to. I started to go inside, um, but still, I just I, I looked so bad. I mean, I, I didn't you know I didn't mention I was 100, <clears throat> 109 pounds when wow. I went to treatment. Mm. Um, I never showed you that picture. No, no,
0: I'd like to see that. Yeah,
1: I have a picture of myself at 109 pounds with wow. big like abscesses on my face and uh, neck and. Uh huh. Um, I mean,
0: did you you know when they did kind of blood work on you? Like where where were things? They I didn't mean, do blood work. Oh, on they didn't. Me. I
1: I wouldn't know. I was a hundred percent. I didn't think I had AIDS. I thought for you know like knew you were certain I, that yeah, yeah I was had certain I had it. AIDS yeah. because. I had shared needles with a guy that he wasn't even HIV, like had full blown AIDS. Wow! And so I was like, "That's like
0: the depths of the where the addiction will take you. That that complete insanity. That like you know that you would that you would engage in that kind of behavior. And while you're doing it, probably know like, well, this is what this means.
1: You know what? I just I just wanted to to get yeah. I just wanted to die. I didn't care. I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, no, it wasn't until. God, it wasn't until four or five months after I went to treatment and went to Sober Living. While I was in Sober Living, one of the kids kind of tricked me to go to um, Tarzana Treatment Center, had a mobile, like a bus or mobile home that once a month would go there and offer free testing. Uh-huh. So he didn't tell me we were going. You know, we were just driving around. He was like, you know, have you ever been tested before? I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, are you, you clean? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's looking at me. I mean, I look like I was dying of AIDS. And right. he's like, you know, when's the last time you've been tested? And I'm like, I had never been tested. I was just lying out my ass because I was scared of saying like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm scared I'm dying. And um, he pulled in. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, they do it here for free. We can, we can do it right now. Oh, man. You know.
0: Terrifying. Yeah.
1: He He called my bluff. He knew. He knew.
0: Right. So we went in. It's that thing when you're. When you're lying, when you're, when you're in your disease and you're doing all that lying and you convince yourself that you're getting over on people and it's not until you have some recovery under your belt that you realize how ridiculous that is. Everybody can see through all of that nonsense.
1: So they did the test. You had to wait a week. You were supposed to come back, I think, come back the following Wednesday or Friday. And that, that Tuesday night, I couldn't sleep all night just couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And so that afternoon...
0: That that sort of presupposes that you're starting to appreciate your life a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that afternoon, when I was supposed to go, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was like 6 o'clock in the evening. Mm-hmm. It was too late. So then I had to wait another two days. Yeah, I had to wait till Friday. And went in on Friday, walked in. It all kind of happened very quickly. Come in, give them the name, get their paperwork, look at the thing. And then it doesn't say like no, you don't have AIDS, it says something like zero antibodies or some, mm-hmm. I don't know what it said, but basically I'm looking at this thing and I'm shaking Trying I'm and understand. shaking. Yeah. And the guy looks at me and he goes, he goes, man, you, you got to clean up, man. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you got to stop using. And I'm like, I'm not fucking using. And he's like, why are you shaking? And I'm like, cause I, I, I can't read this thing. I want to know what it says. He's like, oh man. He's like, you're good. You ain't got it. And I, I just fell out of the chair, fell on the ground, sobbing, 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 sobbing. Because wow. I, th- I thought for sure, I, w- I really was convinced that I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, went back again, I think eight months later, um, to, to do another one. this time, I didn't have money to do a test, and I was dating this girl, and she wouldn't have sex with me unless I got tested. <laughs>
0: and my sponsor... The ultimate incentive...
1: Yes, my sponsor um, sponsored a guy who was in the porn industry and he was like, oh, tell him to go to blah, blah, blah on Ventura Boulevard and just say his name is, make up a porn name and just say that you just got cast into one of his
0: movies. (laughs) And they did. Another one of those like only in LA. Only in LA. (laughs)
1: And, And check it out. They did DNA testing. Uh-huh. So they there was no incubation period or anything. Like well, I can you can tell you
0: right away. Right away. You mm-hmm. go
1: in, and within 24 hours, they test for everything. And that's when I found out I didn't have hep C or HIV. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and again, I just – I remember getting back on Someone's the 101. Someone's looking out for you. Dude, I remember getting back on the 101 and thinking, oh, God, I can't wait to sleep with this girl. But also <laughs> – yeah, that's our first thing you're doing. No, but also <laughs> – I got like, the green light. Yeah, but also, like – I got to do something now Mm -hmm. I got to do something like with my
0: life. Yeah. Like in a bigger way. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't
1: deserve this. I don't, there's, there's thousands of people that are dying in a hospital bed right now that, that loved their life and cared about their life. And I, I threw my life away, willingly threw my life away, willingly shared needles with somebody. And so I knew that I had to do something big and do something cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what that was going to be, I had no idea because I wasn't working and I was broke.
0: How long have you been sober at that point?
1: Um, God, it's hard to say. Maybe a year. How old was that when I was dating? A little over a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little over a year. And I was at that point where, you know, where you start going to the gym and you start to get tan and you start (laughs) to look good, Uh you know. Um,
0: Well, because the first, you know, depending upon where you're at in your life. I mean, you know, the first year of sobriety is just trying to understand what's going on around you, and there's so much wreckage and damage in your life that you have to address and, and walk through, and it's so uncomfortable, and you're like this live wire, like this this raw nerve ending. Yeah. You're super sensitive to everything, and you don't have any tools or, you know, coping mechanisms for handling all these emotions that you're so used to just numbing and checking out from. And then yeah. you, you have to, like confront them. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I, you know, I, I felt I needed to do something big and do something profound. Um, but again, what what is a 34? I think I was about 34 at that time. What's a 34 year old high school dropout convicted felon? loser, what's he going to do? There's nothing. You can't do anything. You're, you're a bum. You can't, no one's going to hire me. Um, and even when they did hire me, even when I did get jobs in, in treatment centers, cause you know, treatment centers will hire anybody. (coughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when I did get job in those treatment centers, I just, I got a mouth on me. I got no filter. I have to speak my truth. I'm really, my heart's virtue is, is expressing myself authentically. And, uh, that's not good for work, mm-hmm. you, you know, especially in an environment Being like that. Being a
0: worker among workers. Yes, yeah. and,
1: and there's a pecking order, and there's, you know, like, <laughs> and so I, I was getting in all kinds of trouble with my mouth, and, um, uh, again, God has a sense of humor, because here's the guy that's a loser, that's homeless, that's kind of existing in this very affluent community like Malibu. I'm, I'm like, sleeping on the floor in this guy's big-ass mansion, and his wife doesn't even know. The house was so big, his wife didn't know I was living there for eight months. Eight months. How is that even possible? Because it was a 7,000 square wow. foot house, and I was way off in the left wing. That's
0: yet another, like, only in L.A. kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Right on Zumarez Uh-huh.
0: Wow. And
1: then when she did find out I was living there, she was thrilled, and she wanted to move. He didn't. She wanted to sell. He didn't. And... It was just one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, well, can I rent this place from you, and can you give me two months free rent? And um, I'm gonna turn it into a sober living, and I'm gonna help a bunch of people, and I'm gonna make a bunch of money." And but you know, and she's like, "Sure." Wow.
0: So. Yeah, you could never have planned that.
1: There's no way, and talk about divine, you know, right. grace. I mean, now I've got this seven thousand square foot house, and you know, I have no idea what I'm doing, but. Um, it just worked.
0: But at the same time, you could have had when you're when you're driving down the freeway with this tremendous relief that you're not sick and realizing i have to do something big with my life. You know, how come the rock and roll dream doesn't crop up, you know, like hey, i was a musician, i was making a record, like i could see you going back into that, but you had some instinct that drove you towards something that was In service and giving back to this gift that you had been given, this gift of sobriety.
1: Yeah, and not that that didn't ever creep up because, you know, some of the guys I was making music with were pretty famous in their own right, and some of them were living off of big second generation fame. So there was still, you know, sort of that opportunity there, but they were all still getting high. Mm. And rock and roll was just a very self-indulgent, dark place for me to act out this fantasy of, I want to become famous so I can punish everyone because I'm short or because I'm, wasn't born into a wealthy family or because my parents were immigrants or because what, you know, for me it was about, it was about fame. It wasn't about, um, making beautiful music and, and not that it, some part of me wanted to make beautiful music because we did, but, most of you wanted. I was like one of those short guys that comes to LA that wants to become famous to punish people.
0: Right, and so you get sober, and you're, you're starting to sort your shit out a little bit, and that becomes not a. That's not important. To it,
1: you it it was it was a cool dream in the in the in the back of my head, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't you know I don't think it would be unheard of to go in in, in two years from now get back together some of my old bandmates who, by the way, are all sober now. <laughs> um,
0: and, they have and, to. They either have to get sober, or it's or going die. the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, but yes, helping people was paramount um, to being able to live a life with meaning and to have any type of lasting recovery or sobriety. Do you know? Do you know how many times? I mean, countless times, hundreds of times, where I wanted to get high in the beginning, those first like four or five years, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. because I had clients that depended on me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I had staff that depended on me. I had people who, you know, I had to make payroll and they had kids. And I mean, it it really, I know they say if you work in recovery, you're 30% more likely to relapse. That's statistics that, I think Hazleton or somebody. Oh, did. I didn't even know that. Really. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, because it just
0: wears you out. Well, you stop going to meetings
1: because you're taking the clients to meetings, uh, and you think that counts. Right. And uh, and you are around toxic people so much that you yourself just start to become toxic. Mm-hmm. That may be true for many people. For me, I was so invested in people's outcomes in such an unhealthy way i want to clarify that again this isn't about being a virtuous good guy i was obsessed with people making it so i could feel good Mm -hmm. you know i needed them to stay sober so i could have
0: that's an al-anon thing of course it is
1: oh my god i'm i'm one of the most codependent unhealthy people you can meet when it comes to that stuff. My first sponsee, I stalked him. I used to drive by his house at 11 o'clock at night. Like, you know, Hey, where are you? You know, I mean,
0: and you're just bringing heartbreak and frustration into your life because people, most people, you know, don't get it or don't stay sober.
1: It's true. But the ones that did, we, we developed such amazing relationships and friendships, um, which, because I'm not a doctor, because if you're a doctor, you're not allowed to be friends with somebody that, right. that you're working with. But I didn't have any initials in front of my name or initials behind my name. So I was allowed to have any type of, uh, you know, friendship that I wanted to. And the people that made it, um, they made it and they never went back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could rattle off, you know, 20 different names of people that I worked with nine years ago, eight years ago, five years ago, four years ago, you know, up until I sold the place. Um I just did the tough mutter with a kid, one of my last clients mm. o- over at Riviera Recovery. And oh, by the wow. way, by the way, Riviera Recovery is now owned and operated and running out of the same house as it was before, in just a strange, you know, series of events.
0: So wait a minute. So the house that you rent rented and turned into this recovery, it was called Riviera. Is that what you called Riviera it? Riviera Recovery. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and you've since sold that, right? But it still continues on.
1: I sold it, but the kids I sold it to one of my other best friends bought the house and let them rent it. From oh, I him. see.
0: Oh, so it's a similar kind of it's thing. The, well, it's, it's the same, the same thing. thing. It's yeah, the same yeah. thing
1: except it's run much better and uh-huh. they're much more professional than I ever was. They have appropriate boundaries right. and they have, you know, they go to, they, they go home at night. Whereas I was living there. Right. So like if you came in and you wanted to get better, there was nothing I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I, I would, in fact, that's how Sun Life Organics came about because I would make them vegetable juice and I would make them wheatgrass juice and I mm-hmm. would do the um, arise and shine cleanses with them quarterly. We mm-hmm. would do arise and shine cleanses every three months. Um, I would make them smoothies. I would, I would make them juices. I would do all of that, and people would spontaneously quit smoking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People would spontaneously go off all of their medication. Some of them, pretty heavy medication. I mean, there was a girl named Sarah, you know, who was on all of it, the Wellbutrin and the Lexapro and all that stuff and, and smoked cigarettes. And she started juicing and she started drinking smoothies and she did a couple of cleanses. And one day she just said, I'm not taking any of this shit mm-hmm. anymore. And January 11th, she'll have five years.
0: Wow. And That's she, she
1: takes nothing.
0: And, and that, that was it, yeah. So it's, it started, well, I mean, there's sobriety, but then there's the other, so you start to get interested in this other part of it, this other part of wellness and getting healthy.
1: Yeah, well, what <clears throat> what happened What happened was I accidentally stumbled into a yoga class. I was supposed to take a client to a yoga class, and she never showed up. And I ended up, the girl teaching it, this woman named Lydia from Canada, who was an ex-ballerina, was one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life. hmm and so I stayed and tried to mm-hmm. take her level three class <laughs> and five minutes in, I was shaking yeah. and I was a puddle and she came over and she put her hand on the small of my back. And then she pushed me down on the ground and she said, just stay, stop. You got to stop. Cause I was shaking and, you mm-hmm. know, puddle of sweat around me. I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I smoked for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't smoked a cigarette in over seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I went back because I wanted to be in this woman's presence. I mean, she was so incredibly beautiful. Um, and so I got into yoga. I started getting into juicing pretty early on in, into my own recovery. Um, I had a buddy named Sean who was a yoga teacher, and he would make me these drinks out of like – he would literally juice burdock root, and he would, right. he would juice um, nettles, stinging nettles. He would mm. juice them. And he kept giving me all these concoctions that he would make in these jars. He would bring them over and he would give them to me. Most of them taste like the worst thing I'd ever right. tasted in my <laughs> life. But something really weird happened. I would drink them. I'd go to the bathroom a lot um, and pee a lot. And then the next morning I'd wake up and I would be like, wow, A, I slept last night, which I was a total insomniac. But B, I would look at my face in the mirror and I would be like, oh, my God, I remember you. Mm-hmm. I started to actually look younger. And the more that I did the wheatgrass and the, and the juices and the ginseng and the goji berries and all of the superfoods, I literally could see, see years falling off of my face. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, when I quit smoking in conjunction with that, the far infrared sauna, the ozone therapy, all the other crazy things I got into, things started to speed up very quickly. Right, And I started to resemble... What I look like in my mid 20s as I. Yeah, it's
0: amazing. I mean, with the, you know, 10 miles of bad road that you've put on your machine, Mm -hmm. you know, and all the things that you've done and all the self abuse, I mean, you look incredible. You know, you (laughs) look super healthy and fit, you know. And I think it, you know, one of the things I always talk about and talk about on the podcast a lot is just the incredible resiliency of the human body. Yes. And when you start to tap into these things, whether it's juicing or what have you, um, and you can see these really dramatic. Turnarounds in incredibly short periods of time. Yeah. And you realize, wow, you know, like how could I be this junkie living on, you know, on Skid Row hoping to die? Yeah. And, you know, lesions all over my body. Yeah. To scabies, ringworm. Yeah. To where you're sitting right now. It's like, it's a miracle.
1: It, it is a miracle. It is definitely the grace of God. You know, I, I never want to get to the point where I think, like, well, I did the footwork and I did this. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of people who do the footwork that die you know, it's the grace of God. And, and I don't know what that means. I wish I could tell you or your listeners what that means. I don't know. To this day, I pray before every meal. I pray every morning. I pray every night. I don't know who I'm praying to. I don't, I don't know if it's a thing or it's a, I don't know. I just know it that it's there. And I know mm-hmm. that if I reach out to God and I just use that word God, because I don't have a better word, but if I reach out to God, um, if I knock on the door, I think it says that in, in some religion, if you knock on the door, then the door gets answered. Mm -hmm. And it does for me, not always in the way that I want it to. Um, and a lot of times I don't want to listen to the truth, but, um, yeah, my, where I'm at now, 44 years old, I just ran an 11 mile obstacle course where I was tasered, where I was cut by barbed wire, where I swam through ice water, literally (laughs) ice water. It was like 80% ice, and they (laughs) added some water to it. Uh I ran that with guys who work for me that are half my age, and I ran it side by side with them. And it was just, it was incredible to think that here I am at 162 pounds, you know, very low body fat, and to think that 10 years ago, I was 109 pounds. And... I was dying. I mm-hmm. was literally falling apart. So um, it, it's, it's, it's amazing what the body can do, how the body can recover. But what's even more amazing is I don't, you know, I was prescribed Trazodone, Lexapro, Seroquel, mm-hmm. Wellbutrin, Xanax, all these different things that the doctors, the psychiatrists gave me. Many of whom said, you're going to have to be on this Wellbutrin for the rest of your life. You're going to have to be on this Lexapro for the rest of your life. You're going to have to be on this, you know, whatever, Ambien or sleeping pill for the rest of your life. I don't take any of that stuff.
0: Nothing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I haven't
1: taken any of that stuff. Did you, you
0: took it for a while, though?
1: Oh, I took it for years. Mm-hmm. I took it for years. But when I went into Pasadena Recovery Center, I said to Dr. Bloom, who was such an amazing guy. He's no longer with us. But um, I said to Dr. Bloom, I don't want to take any of this stuff. I know you guys want me to, and it's probably smart that I do because the way that I'm wired, I probably need it, but I know myself and I know if I take your pills, eventually I'm going to take my pills. Mm-hmm. And that's just my truth. And I'm not telling anybody to not take their psych meds, but for me, it was a matter of life and death. And so I would, I, at that time I would rather live with depression than to risk going back to shooting speed balls. Cause it was for sure going to end my life. And, um, That was, I think, my fifth day in there. That was after my sort of, you know, my white light experience with God, where I kind of, you know, as I unleashed a seed of self-destruction in my mid-20s, I I watered the seed of self-preservation that third day when I was in treatment. Something inside of me, there was a spark, there was a tiny little spark that has since, you know, turned into a forest fire.
0: Right. And those sparks, you know, I think that, I think that we all have them. It's just a question of how tuned in we are to ourselves to recognize them when they happen, and whether or not we can yeah. respond and, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like respect the gravity. Uh, <coughs> sorry, I have something in my throat. Respect the gravity of that situation and the power that it is that it that it can hold for for transformation,
1: and not take it for granted. Yeah, because I, you know, I see a lot of people take it for granted.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's easy to, yeah, just or just to, not understand what's happening and let it pass because they're very precise short moments of time, like these little spurts where a door opens, yeah, you know, and you have this, limited opportunity to make a shift, and you're either going to do it in that time frame or, it's going to pass.
1: Yeah, and let's, I mean, you know, and let's also, point out the fact that most people don't want to change. Right. Most people want their toys back.
0: Right. Well, I don't want to change, you know, like, I mean, pain. I I change when I'm in pain. You know what I mean? That's the way that I'm wired. And I try to make, you know, I try to be always improving myself, but it's not my nature. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, I don't think you're, I don't think I'm much different from you in the fact that you changed habits because I really think it's about habits and Mm -hmm. you, you, you engage in your habits the same way I engage in my habits. And and our habits are similar in some areas, and they're not so similar in other areas. And there's a lot of other people out there that are just like us, and they engage in their habits. The difference is the result that they're getting from their habits. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can engage in a habit, and it's going to bring you really shitty results. And you can engage in a habit, and it's going to bring you really... I, I work like crazy. I work seven days a week. And people tell me a lot, like,
0: you I know, know man. I've been ch- chasing you down to do this podcast for like eight months. Well, <laughs> you, know, like you, you can't give me a day. I I, I was like relentless. This, like, I was like, I'm going to get that guy in the studio if it kills me.
1: I my m- one of my f- favorite <laughs> things in the world is to hear my own voice. I yeah, I will man. I love to speak, but I feel I feel now a responsibility to my employees, to of my course. community, to my girlfriend, and. I, I work like crazy and, you know, sometimes to the point of failure, but look at the difference. I used to do, I used to do drugs to the point of failure and I wound up in hospitals and sharing needles with people with AIDS and mm-hmm. county jail. And now I work like crazy and sometimes I'll get the flu and sometimes I'll whatever, but the byproduct of what I've done working like crazy in this engaging in this habit is i got to go back to ohio and buy my mom a house wow you know i get to help support my mom financially i don't i don't make a lot of money but the money that i do make i take care of my girl and i take care of my mom and those two things give me meaning they make me feel like i'm a human being Mm -hmm. and i spent most of my life you know three and a half decades of my life feeling subhuman not feeling a part of the human race being morbidly depressed and suicidally depressed and absolutely miserable and not having any meaning in my life. And today I, I can get up and watch the sunrise and cry like a child. You know, I watched that documentary on whatever her name was, the swimmer, Diane and Diane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I wept, I wept three or four times throughout that documentary. I feel life today. I, I, I feel a part of life today. And, um, you know, I opened this little juice bar with my girl, and I thought that we were going to – our goal was, our absolute goal was, if we could serve 100 people a day, which seemed a pretty lofty goal. And I remember my landlord, because there were six vacancies here. my, my I remember my landlord said, how do you plan on pulling that off? <laughs> and I said, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. I will, I will get to the point where I'm serving 100 people a day. I can take you downstairs. Actually, I can turn on my phone right now and show you. Today, we've served almost 600 people.
0: Wow. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to, you know, the sort of part in the story where you decide running a recovery house is not for you, and you embark on this entrepreneurial journey to open up SunLife, SunLife Life Organics here in Malibu, um, and this has really become—I mean, you, you're, you're sort of selling yourself short when you say, oh, this little juice bar, because— yeah, In some respects, yeah, it's a juice bar in Malibu. But it really has become like this hub of social activity for the Malibu Malibu community. I mean, everybody comes in here in the morning or in the afternoon, you know, to get their morning green juice or their smoothie or whatever and go about their day. And, like, you know, it's funny. People... People come to LA, they want to see like a celebrity, you know. So they what do they do? They go to Rodeo Drive, right? Or something like that, you know, like thinking they're they're gonna see somebody. It's like, you wanna see a celebrity. Come to Sun Life Organics, <laughs> this is where they're all coming to get their, their green juice, the hoi polloi of Malibu. But it's, what's, what you've built here is so much more than a restaurant or a juice bar. You really because, because what it is is, it, it, is it's catalyzed community around healthy living, and there's a lot of people in this community that are interested in that. Yeah. And, and it's given people a place to kind of congregate, um, and that's created kind of a, like a foothold. For discussion around these topics, whether it's GMO labeling or you know juicing and detoxing or just healthy living or fitness or whatever, and you're living it on a daily basis, you're a living example of it, and so is your your staff. You know, and and you walk in the door, it's immediately apparent. So I'm not surprised that you're serving you know 600 odd people a day. You yeah, know? it's great. You know, and I think that. You know, you should continue. I know you just opened your second one in, in West Oaks. And, yeah. and Thousand Oaks, and yeah. so and so. I you know, I could see these things all over the place. You
1: know? Yeah, and I mean, and you know, um, I mean that's the that's the dream, that's a vision, is to have a hundred of these. I mean, mm-hmm. we opened up in Thousand Oaks. Everyone told me not to.
0: Not Open there. It. I mean, everyone said. that. What was that the reason for not opening there?
1: Because they said that that center was a graveyard, that it was cursed, that nobody would ever go there. That and
0: mall where it is. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I
1: was like, "That's who cares? Well, So let's change it. Why mm-hmm. take no for an answer? Why? Why not? Let, let's go there and let's prove them wrong. Um, we're serving 150 to 250 people a day there. Wow. That is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely huge, and we're changing people's lives. We're having people walk in there you know, telling us now, you know, man, I've lost thirty five pounds since I started coming in here and like, you know, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And and we don't tell people you should be a vegetarian or you should be a vegan or you should be this. We say to people that moving towards a plant based diet has incredibly and radically altered our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. And that's the truth. You can talk to any one of my employees down there, most who were not into juicing or superfoods or anything, mm-hmm. how their lives have changed as a result of, you know, just being around juice all day, you start drinking juice. Being around mm-hmm. smoothies all day, you start making smoothies. We have these right. incredible salads, these incredible soups. So they stopped going to Subway and, you know, grabbing pizza or whatever, and they started having vegan soup or having a vegan salad. And um, it's amazing. It, it's mm-hmm. really, really amazing. and. Thousand Oaks is doing great. Uh, I, I think we're going to be opening up in downtown LA soon. We're oh, also cool. going to open up down in Cross Creek because there's a big demand for it down in Cross nice. Creek. Yeah. And I I just love it. And not not that I don't, you know, the reason that I was late coming here is because I was doing an intervention in the right. I wanted,
0: to, Yeah. So so we were, we were going to try to hook up today to do this. And you texted me and said, you know, I think I can make it, but I got to go down and do an intervention first. Yeah. And it's like, wow. You yeah. Know? Like... In recovery, they always say, you know, sobriety comes first, sobriety comes first. And what happens, and I've experienced this, is, you know, you come in and you're suffering and your life is broken. Yeah. And you'll do anything to get it back. And you work hard and you do make sobriety first. And, and if you do, you get sober and you start to get those things back into your life. You're rela- you repair your relationships you're able to become a responsible member of society you're able to look people in the eye and tell the truth and show up when you say you're going to show up and then you start to forget yeah you start to forget what it was that you did that got you to that place and you start to take sobriety for granted or you just take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit and you're like yeah I know sobriety is supposed to be first but you know like I got to call this guy and I got to go to this meeting and yeah. you're a guy when I look at you you're a guy who lives it every day. Like you understand and get that sobriety always comes first.
1: I appreciate you saying that. And, and again, I have to point out for my own self-preservation, <laughs> it ain't because I'm a good guy. It's because I want I want to live. You know, when, when Bob called me up and said, hey, man, I got this 19-year-old kid who's pacing around his house who thinks his parents are trying to kill him because he's in a psychotic state. You know, I don't, I don't want to go deal with that. Right. I want to go to the beach. I want to, you know, I want to feel good. I want to like get on a podcast and talk about myself because I'm my favorite topic. But
0: if you want to keep what you have, you've got to yes, give it back.
1: Yes. If I want to stay alive and if I want to keep the little ounce of humility that I managed to to collect over the last 10 years in sobriety, I got to go help that kid. And guess what? We got there and he was like, fuck you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, all right. Well, so, you know, I, I'm I'm just here to help you. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Get out of my yard. And I'm like, all right. And I walked away. And then I turned around and I said, Hey, I'm not being paid to be here. And he looked at me and he's like, did my dad send you? And I said, no, your dad sent him
0: mm-hmm. and he
1: dragged me into this. So he might be employed by your father, but I'm not employed by your father. I'm here for fun and for free. I'm here to help you out if you want some help and I I wish in that moment it went really really well he ended up running away and then we had to leave and then we got (laughs) called back and yeah but let me tell you something the third time we came back and he had disappeared and it's two hours in now and I'm just like this sucks I got I got businesses to run I'm sitting there and the mom's almost in tears and the dad's almost in tears and all of a sudden the kid walks in and he comes over and he sits on the arm of the sofa and he like eyeballs me. He like He's like sizing me up, you mm-hmm. know? And he looks at Bob, who's quite obviously there. He recognized him from TV to do this intervention. He's looking at Bob and he's looking at me. And, um, and I said, hey, and he goes, what's up? And I'm like, nothing. I'm still here to help you if you want help. And he goes, well, I don't want to make any decisions right now. And I said, and nor do I. I do not want you to make a decision right now. But what I do want you to know I said, if you want help, I can help you. I'll help you for fun and for free. And he was like, I appreciate that. And I said, I appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at the dad and I looked at the mom. I said, I think our time here is up. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, just let it be. You got my number. You got his number. And we got up and we all hugged. Even the kid hugged me. Wow. Yeah. And we la- And this is a kid who's, you know, two hours earlier saying, fuck you, get out of my yard. Right. right. And he knew, because the truth is the truth is the truth. He knew I was being honest. I'm not getting paid for that shit. I got dragged into it. Bob Forrest, who saved my life, calls me up and says, hey, I got a kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's how this thing works. It's not about being a great guy. It's not about being a virtuous guy. It's not about being a humble guy. It's about being a sensible guy. I know that I have to give back because so much was given to me freely. Mm -hmm. Now, in the juice bar, it's a different story. I give a lot in the juice bar. If you come in and I don't know you and you're my customer and you got to run and your dog's there and whatever, I'll walk your dog. I'll follow you to the car dealership and drive your car. I'm I'm all about that and I'll tell you why. Because it makes me feel high. I get up in the morning and I'm so excited to go be near my coworkers and to be near my customers. And yes, I would be an idiot and a liar to not mention... Of course, it's exciting when it's guides like Gerard Butler walking in the door and mm-hmm. high fiving you. Of course, it's exciting to get sweet, you know, uh, Instagram messages from Pamela Anderson. Um, I'm from Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. That's a big deal to me. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not gonna lie. I love it. I I'm I'm short of breath every time I have one of those interactions with those people. But those people want to get loved up too. Those people want those people want to feel like they're a part of something too. And so, um, whether it is an A-list actor or a rock star, um, you know, texting from the Thousand Oaks like, "Hey, I'm at your other store now. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 dying on the inside. You know, I'm like, you know, this is pretty th- cool. This is pretty cool. <clears throat> but what's just as cool is when the day laborer comes in or the housekeeper comes in that can't speak English, and we get to work it out between the two of us speaking Spanglish, mm-hmm. you know, as to what smoothie or what juice that they should get. Or when a, when a little six-year-old kid comes running in, yelling my name and runs up to me and gives me a hug and says, I want, I want to get my juice, you know? Or when, when parents are holding their kid that can't even talk, can't even formulate sentences yet, says, you know, when we drive by here, my kid points and says, juice. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the greatest thing. This is the greatest high. This is the greatest experience I've ever had. And I want to bring this to everybody's neighborhood if I can. I mean, I know a lot of neighborhoods can't afford it yet, mm-hmm. but um, I want to bring this to as many neighborhoods as I can.
0: That's a beautiful thing. You know, you were talking, we were talking earlier about change and, you know, most people don't want to change and, and you know, how do you change? And, and certainly every day I get emails from people like, I want to change, but I'm just stuck and I can't. And And it's very easy to, like tweet a platitude like hey you can change at any given moment and it's like that doesn't mean anything like it sounds good you'll get a lot of like clicks on it or something like that but like is that really helping anybody you know and and so i'm always thinking about like what is it that i can do to help people to change when they're stuck and you know one of the things i always say is is you know just think of one small thing that you could change that you could repeat on a daily basis that seems like doable. You know, yeah. it, it's sort of like that example of uh, you know if if a if a rocket is taking off from Cape Canaveral to the moon and it's off by one micrometer or something, yep. you know, it's going to miss the moon by right. a thousand miles. But right. if you can just make that one little tiny micrometer shift, you'll end up in a completely different place. Yeah. Right. So if all you did Forget about vegan, paleo, whatever. Like, if all you did is had a green juice for breakfast every morning as opposed to having, like, you know, bacon or something like that yeah. or just whatever it is you're used to eating, um, and then you just repeat that on a daily basis, yeah. like, where's that going to take you, you know, six weeks from now, six months from now? Dude, we you have... You it because it'll, it'll set you on your own journey, and you'll start to connect with yourself in a different way. You have to respect people and give them enough credit that they'll be taken care of and on their right journey. Like just give them a little tool yeah. and send them on their way. And then they'll have their own experience. It's going to take them wherever it's going to take them.
1: Yeah. We have people in, in Thousand Oaks. People in Malibu are pretty forward-thinking and very advanced and, you know, obviously have the means to get a lot of what's great that's out there and have access to a lot of what's great. But, you know, we have people in Thousand Oaks that are landscapers or plumbers or whatever that come in, uh, and they don't even know what it is. You know, they just, they just, they see the sign or they see the lotus flower or they see the people walking in and walking out as they're at Umami Burger. They look over and they mm-hmm. see this thing and they walk in and there's this kid, Alex, that works there who looks like Tarzan and he's the greatest looking kid you'll ever seen. Just <laughs> gorgeous, tall, fit, beautiful. And he says just that, just get a juice. That's it. And they're like, what about this? And what about paleo? And what about vegan? And what know, do you do? I to
0: overcomplicate yeah. it. Just make it simple. He just
1: get a juice. So these dudes, they get a juice. There's some guy that goes to Disney, which we always talk about, or works at Disney that we always talk about. He's an executive. He randomly stopped in there for his wife, right? So Alex said, get a juice. He got a juice. Came back the next day. I felt pretty good, man. Well, you know, what else can I get? Alex said, I don't, why don't you try turmeric shot? so you do turmeric however you say it you know so he did a turmeric shot then he comes in you know a few you know a few days later and you know is there anything i could take with me and he says yeah why don't you grab a couple of the pressed juices over there we have pressed juices you Mm -hmm. can take them we'll give you a little bag of ice or whatever so the dude comes in now five days out of seven every single week he's lost all of this weight he looks incredible and he can't stop asking questions. He just comes in, and he's just lit up, and he's excited, and he's telling his neighbors about it. And that, I believe, is how we're going to change
0: the That's world. That's how you change it, yeah. yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah.
1: Sending me pictures of cows getting their face ripped off on Facebook and telling me that I'm a bad person for eating meat is not going to make me change. But, but becoming a vegetarian, then becoming a vegan... Then going on a little run, then going on a little bike, then getting back into swimming, and then eventually, you know, doing an man a couple of years later, and mm-hmm. writing a book about it, inspiring me. That's what's going to make me change, mm-hmm. you know. And and I don't know. It it couldn't get any cooler. And by the way, I was much more excited to see you pedaling down PCH as I chased you in my car. <laughs> you must have thought I was a lunatic. Oh you know, like, man, I'm
0: that guy. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's funny because. Uh... <clears throat> Sorry, I got like a frog in my throat today. Um, <clears> throat> yeah, I think you had sent me a couple Facebook messages or had emailed me, and it's like, and and I'd heard like, oh, this guy started this, you know, this juice bar over in in Malibu. You should check it out. So when I got the messages, I was like, oh, this is the juice guy. Like, why does he keep emailing me? He wants to hook. He wants to meet me. He wants to hook up. And yeah. I and I had like. I had emailed you back and said, hey, let's, yeah, definitely let's do it or whatever. But we still yeah. hadn't met. Right. And I was out riding. Yeah, I was riding down PCH and you recognized me somehow. I, don't I chased know. you I, like, down. like driving by me in your car. I chased you down. I, I was yelling at you. That you was right the- before we went to Kauai for three months. Yeah. yeah. That was right before we moved to Hawaii for three yeah. months last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, pretty good, man. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's been an amazing year for you
1: amazing year. And, um, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, we're opening up a yoga studio next door, literally mm-hmm. right next yeah. door.
0: When is that going to open?
1: Um, it could be a month. It could be three months. I don't know. I've learned, you know, that I'm at the mercy of the powers that be, mm-hmm. but I, I just keep, I keep putting one foot in front of the other, but, um, we're opening up Malibu beach yoga right upstairs from SunLife Organics, Malibu. Um, Sun, Laker, Sun Life Organics, Thousand Oaks has now got some traction and we've got, like I said, 150 to 250 people a day going through there. Um, and we're just, we're looking at what our options are. We just bought our partner out and, um, Haley and I now own a hundred percent of Sun Life Organics together. Um, we just celebrated seven years together and oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's so cool. It's so cool. I'm, I'm so in love and, and happy. And I never thought I'd get to say that and I, I really never did. I mean, even in my early recovery, mm-hmm. I used to walk around, look at couples and go, I'll never have that. Mm-hmm. I'll never have that. No, I have it. God God has blessed me.
0: You're living an amazing life. You're living the dream. You truly I, are. I really am. You know? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you're an inspiration. You inspire me to be better. So I Thanks, appreciate Rich. having you in my life, man, and being Thank my you. friend. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, you're changing lives, man. Thank you. you really are. And uh, it's beautiful to see. You, and I'm so glad that this is all successful for you.
1: Thank you. Well, my my next goal is to is to do what you did, is to write a book. And I've mm-hmm. got, a pretty, I got a pretty good foundation for it. Um, I just need to edit it and I need to um, take some of the sensationalism, sensationalism out of it, because as I was writing it, I'm so insecure and I so want people to like me that I think I went too over the top in terms of shock value. Not, I didn't embellish. I I just I told stories that probably didn't need to get told. Mm-hmm. You know, the story is what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a sad childhood. I was a morbidly depressed person. I got on heavy booze and drugs. I, by the grace of God, recovered from that and have an incredible life today. And it's pretty simple, but, you know, I like to complicate things.
0: Right. So before we sign off, I just thought it would be good for the listeners, if you could like share maybe one or two things that that you find helpful on a daily basis to try to sort of keep you on track or, or, you know, on that trajectory towards always being conscious of improving your, the quality of your, of your life.
1: I'm going to just say something really simple. And I was talking about this yesterday with somebody, um, just do, do kind things for other people and don't get caught. That was probably the most helpful advice I've ever been given is by by a, band, a, a man named Bill Galvin um and uh and he said when you see trash on the ground pick it up and when you're finished with your grocery cart return it to the front and don't be looking around at everybody to see if they're noticing you do it just put the grocery cart back where you got it from and when someone asks you for money that's not your money God gave you that money share that money don't worry about what they're going to go do with that money and he said and when you hand them that money don't stand around and wait for them to say, God bless you, man, and this and that. Don't shame them. Hand them the money and walk away right away. And do kind things for people where they won't even know that it was you that did it. And he said, and don't tell anybody about it. Do mm-hmm. kind things for people. Don't get caught and don't discuss it with people. And I started doing that. And, and my God, it talk about the greatest antidepressant you can ever put into your body do something amazing for somebody, even if it's dumb, like putting in a quarter in a meter that just expired mm-hmm. when no one's looking, and just walk away and know that you just saved that person 35 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is today. Mm-hmm. That That's all I want to say about that. That's the best advice I can give to someone.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good, man. I like it. Thank you. Cool. Beautiful. Thank you. All right, man. So if, uh, if people want to know a little bit more about Sun Life Organics, the website is... Some we, like, don't, it, we, we don't, have don't, don't have a website a <laughs> website no. come on man we don't have a website it's one thing to get off Facebook you gotta, you gotta have a website
1: we don't have a website we have Sun Life all Organics right. Facebook page okay. I, think it, I think it's just Sun Life Organics or it might be Sun Life Organics Malibu we're gonna get a website eventually we'll probably do all that stuff but we just honest to God we we really thought we were gonna open the doors and have like 30 or 40 customers we right. opened the doors there was 250 people that walked in that day mm. that was the first day mm. People need this. Yeah, people I remember you. You,
0: uh, you Instagrammed a picture of the, of the opening day out in uh, Thousand Oaks too, and I think there was like a line out the door. Oh my
1: God, it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah. So the people have spoken, man. Yeah. The demand is there. People yeah. want to get well. They want good food, good juice.
1: If you want to check us out, you know, go to our Sun Life Organics Facebook page, or come out to Malibu and let me make you a juice. Or let me walk your dog or wash your car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or, Watch out, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm in trouble now. <clears throat> yeah, or,
0: you're, you're mean at detailing cars.
1: Yeah, or come to Thousand Oaks and, and support us out there. We could use the support. Or um, or I don't know. You could always, uh, my email's on, on all of those things. It's just my first and last name at hotmail.com.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. So if you're in LA, definitely drop in. Say hello to Khalil. Give him a shout out, man. And uh, thanks for taking the time, brother. Thanks, man. All right, dude. Peace, peace, plants.